0: You're listening to the Mommy Labor Nurse Podcast, episode number 63. Hey guys, happy Monday. This week I am having Lindsay Wimmer. She is the founder and executive director of the Star Legacy Foundation. She's going to be on the podcast today. And this episode is all about the realities of poor pregnancy outcomes. If you guys don't know what the Star Legacy Foundation is... The Star Legacy Foundation is a nonprofit organization started by Lindsay that is dedicated to reducing pregnancy loss and neonatal death and improving care for families who are experiencing such tragedies. So Lindsay came on today to talk to us. She is a pediatric nurse practitioner with a Bachelor of Science in Nursing from St. Catherine University and a Master's of Science in Pediatric Nursing from the University of Colorado. Lindsay and her family created the Star Legacy Foundation to support stillbirth research and education after experiencing the full-term stillbirth of her first son Garrett in 2004. Since then, the Star Legacy has grown to be the largest nonprofit in the United States with a primary focus on stillbirth prevention and care. So, so great and so, so needed. Lindsay lives in Eden, Prairie, Minnesota with her husband, Trent, and her three living children, Grant, Bennett, and Austin. So today we talked about the Star Legacy Foundation and what sort of things that they do, and then we dove into some of the realities of poor pregnancy outcomes Lindsay talked about some of the common risk factors for stillbirth and management strategies, how someone can reduce the risk of stillbirth, how to properly monitor your baby's movements, what sort of testing may be done on your baby if you experience a stillbirth, what sort of questions you should ask your provider after you experience a stillbirth, and we talked about other things too. This obviously is a very needed episode um, and a very, very great educational episode, but whenever we talk about miscarriage, loss, death, I always have to give a trigger warning to anyone who is pregnant or has experienced a stillbirth or a loss because some of these topics just frankly might be triggering for you. So just know that going into this episode that this may be a hard episode to listen to if you're pregnant or if you've experienced loss recently or ever at any point in your life. All right, so without further ado, let's get into this week's episode all about the Star Legacy Foundation.
1: Hi, Lindsay, welcome to the Mommy Labor Nurse Podcast. Thank you so much for being here today.
0: Thanks for having me.
1: Yeah. Can you just start by telling our listeners a little bit about yourself and your family? Where are you from? Sure. What you like do, all that good stuff.
2: <laughs> okay. Well, yeah, my name is Lindsay Wimmer. I um, live in Eden Prairie, Minnesota. It's a suburb of Minneapolis. And I am the founder and executive director of Star Legacy Foundation. Uh, my family and I really um, kind of got into to this work after the um, stillbirth of my first son, Garrett, um, in 2004. And I'm also a, a pediatric nurse practitioner. So, I, I um, after I kind of, what I say, came out of the fog with um, yeah. my own loss, I started looking into the research. I couldn't figure out why this happened so much in the United States, and I had no idea, and how little I, I learned about this, despite all of, of my work and um, education in, in the medical field. And so, what i found was that there really was extremely little out there to be known and that yeah. just didn't seem seem an acceptable thing to us at the time so we we decided to to try to do what we could to promote research and education around stillbirth prevention and care and we have um now expanded into to lots of other family support and awareness and advocacy efforts as well
1: I love it. I love it. Well, can you tell our listeners, you've already kind of started telling our listeners, but can you tell our listeners a little bit about kind of what you guys do Yeah, some of the things that you guys do at the Star Legacy Foundation?
2: Yeah, so we actually have programs that um, land into what we call our five pillars, which are research education, awareness, advocacy, and family support. We Within research, we are currently conducting the Pregnancy Research Project, and that is open okay. to anyone who has um, ever had a pregnancy um, loss or anyone who has had a baby within the last five years, regardless of the outcome. And we would encourage anyone who is um, interested in, in participating in research and contributing to um, science about what is known about uh, pregnancy and how to keep pregnancies healthy, um, they're, they're yeah. welcome to participate in that. We also do continuing education for, um, health professionals all across the country. This summer, we're going right. to be host- hosting, um, the Stillbirth Summit, which is, um, a multi-day conference where we bring together researchers from around the world to share some of the, the most exciting and, and newest information that's available in Stillbirth. And then, um, We also have a series of education materials for designed for families, both on the bereavement side and on the prenatal care and prevention side. Those are all completely free, so we encourage anybody who um, would like some information about keeping their pregnancies safe or um, if you've unfortunately experienced a loss and and would like some guidance um, on a number of topics, um, please check us out because um, those are all completely free. We also, um, from the bereavement and family support side, we offer a series of support groups that again are all completely free. They're done over zoom and they, they can be for um, those who've had a pregnancy loss and those who've had an infant loss. We have one specifically for dads, one for grandparents. We also have um, one for those that are parenting, um, children after a previous Mm -hmm. loss. And then also those Mm -hmm. that are currently pregnant after a loss and, um, we are really excited. Our, our newest group that is is just getting started is a Spanish speaking um, bereavement support oh. group as well. So we're really excited to to um, be getting into that that area too.
1: Yeah, that's awesome. And how are those support groups? Are they? Uh, I'm
2: assuming that they're online in some yep.
1: regard. Are they like yep, favorite groups? Okay. Yep
2: they're held online um via zoom we ask for uh, registration the first Mm -hmm. time only so that we can control some of the security coming in and out of of the groups um but then after that yeah it's just done through a um, a zoom link that anybody can join from their computer or phone or uh, whatever's most convenient um device for them and you can do it in your pajamas and you can do it from from the comfort of home
1: yeah no i love that that's so great well, Awesome. Well, let's really get into the bulk of this episode. I'd love to first kind of talk about some of the realities of poor pregnancy outcomes, whether it be stillbirth or um neonatal death. As an L&D nurse, I don't, you know, I'm casual, so I don't, I don't I'm not on the floor as much as I I was when I was full-time, but you know, all too familiar with patients who have stillbirth late in pregnancy or you know at the 20 some week mark it's it's unfortunately a reality on the floor that we deal with not daily but you know weekly monthly we'll have patients come in who are experiencing losses so can you just talk about some of the things some of the realities of that and maybe kind of
2: where you guys you've already kind of talked about where you guys fall in but where you guys fall in sure so you're exactly right. It's, it's a, an unfortunate um, reality. And I think one of the, the things that so many families struggle with when they find themselves in, in this situation is that they don't even realize that this, this could have happened. I think we yeah. have a, yeah. as a society, have a better understanding of, um, really early pregnancy losses, meaning that first trimester or so. And the, the best example I have of that is how many people can go to social media and say, we, we hit the 12 week mark we're, you know, we're kind of, we can relax now. And unfortunately yeah. for a lot of families, that just isn't the case. In right. the United States alone, we have about 24,000 stillbirths every single year. And that mm-hmm. um, that equates to about one in every 160 deliveries. So by, by medical standards, it, it does kind of fall under those um, rare or unusual um, circumstances. But for 24,000 families a year, that's not exactly a small number either. So, no. so so there are so many families. And that actually is just stillbirth. That doesn't count those that have losses before 20 weeks. Um, or right. as you mentioned, the, the neonatal deaths and, and um, later infancy deaths too, because- there's thousands more of, of neonatal deaths that are just kind of on that other side of delivery, but the the causes and some of the root issues are, are the same regardless of if the, the baby happens to die just before or just after delivery. And um, we also know that one in four women will experience some form of pregnancy or infant um, loss in their lifetime. So even if you haven't been impacted directly, you know somebody who has. And a lot of times people will say, "Well, I don't I don't think I do know anybody." And part of that is because there's there's a lot of stigma and and it's an awkward oh, much, yeah. There's an awkward yeah. um topic to talk about. So there's a very good chance that there's people in your life that have experienced this who just don't feel comfortable sharing. And so um it it really is more more common than than we think, and it impacts all of us. We know that there's there's some significant mental health um, consequences that, that can come from this, but also, um, you know, social um, changes and family dynamics, and, and so many of the other um, elements that come into any type of of grief and loss, but certainly with these types of, of deaths, um, really do play. Um, a role in, in their, their lives moving forward. And so this is not just a a one-time medical event. This is something that these families carry with them for, for years, if not the rest of their lives.
1: Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, I would argue, yeah, I would argue for absolutely for the rest of your life. Mm -hmm. Um, Gosh. Yeah. Well, let's talk about some of the common risk factors for stillbirth and management strategies. I think that's what gives a lot of parents fear and anxiety um, that they think, you know, okay, what are the risks? You know, what can I actually do to decrease my risk? Do you have any input on
2: that? Like, what are some concrete things that people can do to reduce their risk of stillbirth? Sure. So like you've said, there's, there's a lot of, of risk factors that we can't control. There obviously are some that we can, and and those are the ones that, um, are the, the easiest for us to, to look at. Um, yeah. Things like um, smoking and um, other right. um, substance use during pregnancy, getting really good um, antenatal care, prenatal care, and, and following all the, the recommendations for screenings and those kinds of things. We um, we also know that there's a lot of non-modifiable risk factors. Um, things like um, you know some, your your family history um, as as one yeah. example, or a pre-existing yeah. condition that that you may have. Um, and then there's some that kind of fall in that gray zone where some people you know consider them modifiable but yet but by, by, by the time you get to a pregnancy they usually aren't things like um, maternal right. age um, maternal right. weight those kinds of things so obviously any anything you can do to have yourself um, in, a, in a healthy um, status before yeah. before or during the pregnancy is, is always a good thing but outside of that some of the the risk factors that that we're learning more about um, are Families and women who report any kind of a change in their baby's movements. We also know that women who sleep on their backs in the third trimester have a, a much higher rate of, of stillbirth late in the pregnancy. Um, so those are, you know, a couple of just really short and quick um, things that is really easy to to tell moms of. You know, one of the one thing that you can do to decrease your risk. Some studies show by up to twelve percent um, is is just by going to sleep on your side. And if um, you wake up and you find out that you're on your back, that's a that's your reminder to roll back onto your side before going back to sleep. Um, right. So th- there's some things like that, that that we can absolutely do. We also are, are doing a lot of work trying to um, work with both moms and providers to better identify those pregnancies that might be at risk. So things like we know that um, hmm. preeclampsia is a really significant risk factor for poor pregnancy outcomes of all kinds, still just being one of those particular outcomes. But we need to do a better job of identifying who might be at risk for preeclampsia and maybe having them um, do more frequent monitoring or maybe we um, do some additional tests to make sure that the baby is growing appropriately because we know um, another major risk factor is the babies that are not thriving in utero. So what they Mm -hmm. call a fetal growth restriction Mm-hmm. And so that just means that baby's not, not growing as much as they need, usually because they're not getting all of the, the nutrients and the oxygen that they need through the placenta for any number of reasons. And so looking for those babies that uh, might be struggling because they are trying to adapt to some of those kinds of conditions, even if mom doesn't have the symptoms. So usually we're looking for these symptoms in mom. Um, but and we, we're doing a much better job than we ever used to on on catching those conditions when mom has symptoms. But now we need to look for catching those conditions when mom doesn't have symptoms because the the baby is still at risk.
1: Yeah. No. Absolutely. Well, you touched a little bit on baby's movements as something to do. Mm-hmm. Um, but can you talk a little bit more? I, I've I've educated my my followers about this and in, in a few different ways in my posts. But can you just? talk about how to properly monitor your baby's movement.
2: Yeah. The best thing um, you can do is just get to know your baby and get to know this baby's behavior and their their normal personality. Um, Anybody who's been pregnant more than once knows that every pregnancy is different. Every baby is different. And yeah. so it's it's really important not to try to, to go after a specific number or compare this baby's movements to your previous pregnancy or your sister's pregnancy. Um, yeah. and, and really just focus on what is normal for this baby. Because if we look at very specific numbers, sometimes we're going to have super busy babies that will hit that number every single time, even if something is going on um, that's that's problematic yeah. but then we also have some super chill <laughs> babies that will never yeah. hit hit those special numbers just because they're they're that kind of a, a kid and so yeah. we want moms to get to know their baby kind of figure out what their patterns are when are they most active when do they um, like to to be kind of a little bit more, um, lazy, what, what kinds of, what what kinds of things tend to, to excite them? What kinds of, you know, positions or, um, sounds or events in in your life do they respond to? Because then that gives you a baseline. And then the, the thing moving forward for monitoring baby's movements is if you notice a, a change from that, um, that, pattern that you've already seen and it could be in in the number of kicks but it could also be in um, the the freak the pattern it can be mm-hmm. in um, some of the re- things that they're responding to or not responding to it could be yeah. in in the type of movement so a lot of times moms will tell us you know I used to get these just um, constant fluid rolling motions and all of a sudden they were these sharp jagged, rough, Mm. you know, or any kind of, and I'm just using that as one example, but anytime there's just a big change in how the baby is um, behaving, that could be a sign that they're just not comfortable for whatever reason. And absolutely worth um, getting evaluated for that.
1: Yeah, no, that makes a lot of sense that it's more, it's not, don't focus on, you know, we say, okay, 10 movements in two hours, right? Like that's what the most of the most, people say most providers will say but yeah it's more like learning your baby and not looking at the number and just learning what your baby does and then if there is a change in that that's and i would say hey it's never gonna hurt to call your provider and get it you know go and get it checked out because really what's most important is your intuition if you feel like something's going on definitely go and
2: get checked out right that's exactly right. And I, I think actually one of the reasons why um, the the number of kicks in a certain amount of time has been appealing is because we like very yeah. objective things to measure, right? Yeah. But that comes yes. back to moms often try to convince themselves that they're not really feeling what they are. They don't trust, like you said, their yeah. their intuition, trust their gut. And so even yeah. if you can't put your finger on it or even if the, the movement does maybe feel a bit different, but you're not 100% sure, if, you're, if your instinct is saying it's not normal or it's not okay, then that's, that's more than enough to go on. And so don't, don't try yeah. to talk yourself out of that.
1: No, no, never. Because we're, Hey, hospital is open 24 seven. We're always up here. We can always come and assess your baby. No, no big deal. I love it when people come in to, you know, the door and say, Hey, I'm just, I'm, just want to make sure everything's okay. We are never, we're never rolling our eyes or anything at that. We always want to make sure that babies are doing okay. If you feel like something's going on, it's always in your best interest to get it checked out. Absolutely. Well, this next one is, if I have a stillbirth, what are some of the sort of testing that may be done on baby Will they always know what happened to baby?
2: Yeah, that's that's a great question. So, unfortunately, a lot of the the questions about what kind of tests you want to do and you can do are, are given to you at a time when it's really chaotic and, and stressful. So this you is can't
1: process anything.
2: Yeah. Absolutely, absolutely. Yeah. So a lot of um, what can and should be done will depend on what the circumstances are, what gestational age you're at, what kind of um, history you've had with with that pregnancy, um, maybe even down to where um, you're delivering, like what what the facility offers in that location. Um, mm-hmm. At the um, bare minimum, we always encourage people to, to make sure that... Um, meaning providers, that they have done a really good history to gather as much information as we can from the family because they know a lot of things about what's been going on with that pregnancy that doesn't get reflected in the medical record. And so we right. want to make sure that, that we learn um, what, what they have to, to share with us. We also want to do a really good physical exam of the baby because sometimes, especially if, if there's any kind of a genetic um, or anatomic issue, there may be um, external signs of that, that that we can take a look at as well. And then there's it's kind of a, a, a menu, if you will, of different types of tests. And some of them may or may not be recommended or suggested by your provider based on things that they've already ruled out during the pregnancy um, with, with some antenatal testing or, or not, um, or just what they are, are seeing. So that could include um, blood tests on um, the mom sometimes we can do um, blood tests on the, the cord or on the baby. We um, almost always, it's very rare that I find a situation like this that we don't recommend that the placenta be sent uh, for for a lot of um, yeah. um, testing um, and yeah. send the umbilical cord with that as well. And um, then we can can also get into some more, um, more in-depth studies, including um, genetic and anatomic studies that can be done with um, uh, tissue samples from the baby, or also um, up to a full autopsy, and I know a lot of times these are are difficult conversations for for providers to have with families because, yeah. like I said, you're already in such such a horrific um, state of mind. But they really are important because trying to learn what what happened can really make a big difference for, for a lot of families, not only in, in how they process this particular loss, but how they maybe make decisions on, on if they are going to um, continue to have future pregnancies, what it might yeah. mean for other family members, those kinds of things. Unfortunately, um, your comment about, will they always know what happened. We, we often don't know what happened. Sometimes that is because the, the, you know, certain testing or the extensive testing isn't done. Sometimes that's mm-hmm. because um, the family just isn't comfortable with it, or they have um, cultural, religious um, issues that yeah. interfere with some of the testing. Sometimes mm-hmm. it's because the testing is too expensive. Unfortunately, mm-hmm. a lot of the yeah. tests that are done on babies are not covered by insurance companies. Some sometimes the facilities, the the hospitals themselves, will write off the test, but not always. And mm-hmm. so. The, it can be really cost prohibitive when you're looking at maybe even ten or twenty thousand dollars if you start to bring in yeah. all these genetic and, and um, autopsy costs um, so that can be a big a big factor sometimes yeah. the the appropriate um, personnel to do an autopsy just isn't available this you know we particularly see this in in lots of rural areas where the the closest mm. perinatal pathologist may be, hundreds of miles away. And so it just isn't practical for the family to, to have the baby go that far away and to delay, you know, services or anything else that they, they may be interested in. Um, but then Mm -hmm. sometimes even when we do absolutely every test possible, we still don't have an answer as, as to what happened. And that is incredibly, incredibly frustrating. One, one thing I always like to, um, kind of remind people though is knowing sometimes knowing what did not happen is as valuable as knowing what did happen. And yeah. while it, it certainly doesn't, you know, kind of bring that extra of information and in, and I don't want to say closure because that's not I, I don't like that word in this context, but but I think No, I don't it, either. It, it, okay, that's kind yeah. of you know it, it kind of brings some of the medical piece full circle if you yeah. if you have an answer. And so yeah. it's certainly frustrating if you don't have that. But um, but least you know moving forward knowing what 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 wasn't an issue can have a big impact particularly when we are talking about future pregnancies
1: yeah no that makes a lot of sense especially if yeah you didn't I mean I'm thinking a good example is if you let's say you have an incompetent cervix and you know this is the reason that's that wouldn't be a test that you've done on the baby that's you know, right. recognized for you but Somebody knowing that in their first pregnancy and having like, you know, an early loss because of that can now go into their second pregnancy saying, okay, we're going to use vaginal progesterone, we're going to get a and you know, this week of pregnancy, we're going to manage this pregnancy a lot differently. So I'm sure there are definitely examples of where we're getting this sort of test, we're having these answers from this experience, and now going into a second pregnancy or a third pregnancy or whatever you know it may be, um, that you can manage it differently. So, that makes Absolutely. sense. Um, so this next one is what? So, let's say I've experienced um, a stillbirth, what sort of questions should I ask my provider at my postpartum visit after my baby has passed?
2: Yeah, so again, a lot of this kind of comes back to what, what the circumstances were if if this was. Yeah um and anticipated because sometimes we have um a, a diagnosis um on the baby before the baby um passes or or at some point during the, the pregnancy and we have a lot of families um choosing to do um palliative care and so that that obviously is gonna look very different um because they're gonna be talking more about um you know in asking questions around yeah. what what the recurrence um could look like and and um those those types of elements. If this has um, absolutely been a complete surprise to, to everyone, then you know asking questions about um, you know going back and looking at risk factors or some things that that may have may seem obvious now but weren't obvious at the time. Looking yeah. at um, any test results, if if there were any lab tests, um, genetics, autopsy, all those kinds of things, and, and what they what they tell us and what they don't tell us, and and most commonly, uh, we have lots of families want to at least start asking the questions of what do, do, what does all of this mean for future pregnancies? What are the the yeah. chances that this could happen again? What um, what should we be moving? Um, you know, should we do any testing or treatments to try to reduce things that we now know about? So, so a lot of that can come into play depending on on those circumstances. Um, another big question we get is how long should they, they wait before considering another pregnancy. Yeah, and exactly again, that's a, another very, um, kind of dependent on, on the circumstances in your, in your health. If, if it's yeah. been a situation where, um, you know, if it was a placental abruption and mom had a, a really significant hemorrhage afterwards and was hospitalized for two weeks, yeah. um, that, that just with nothing else, we know that that mom's body is not in an optimal state to to try to have another baby immediately. Right. Um, so we want to, you know, we definitely want to make sure that that mom is um, physically um, healthy in in her um, own sense. When we yeah. talk, when we start talking about emotional health, that's where it gets really cloudy because obviously it's going to be something very different for everybody, and um, that that's something that every family just kind of has to identify on, on their own when, when the timing feels right. But um, definitely it's worth having those conversations with, with your providers about the, the physical aspects and and what might need to happen between now and then, or, or what, um, what it's going to take to, to get your body uh, physically ready. Yeah. Yeah. Um, sometimes as part of those conversations, um, we, we always want to make sure that the providers are, are really kind of checking in on, on the mental health, um, status of things too, because depending on on your provider's preference or the type of delivery you had, you may be having this postpartum visit two weeks to six weeks later. And obviously you're you're bound to be in a very different mental um, place than an emotional place than you were when they saw you in the hospital. And so we really want to um, encourage people to be honest with their providers about how they're feeling, how it's going, and not just for them, for, for their partners, for their children, mm-hmm. for their parents, whoever else is kind of around them and, and helping them through this. And, um, and we really want to make sure that you feel comfortable with that provider asking questions about how best to support your mental health because we know that um, this does put women at a, a very significant risk for postpartum depression and anxiety, oh gosh, yeah. um, PTSD, lots lots of, of issues, and so we don't want that to get missed just because um, everybody's focused on either the next pregnancy or, or assuming that it's you yeah. know all just kind of gone now that the baby has you know we've reached certain milestones, um, you know having yeah. the, having a memorial service or something like that. So we definitely need to to continue to be very mindful of those things.
1: Yeah, and that kind of leads into the next question of what sort of things should you know going into the, the next pregnancy after you have either stillbirth or neonatal death. So I'm thinking that, yes, the, the anxiety
2: and the perinatal mood disorders is a big, big one that you need to be mindful of. Absolutely, I yeah. I don't think I've encountered a single family in in a you know next pregnancy or subsequent yeah. pregnancy. Um, if you haven't heard the term rainbow pregnancy, we um, hear yeah. that a lot. I'm referring to the um, the the rainbow signs of of hope and happiness after um, a rough rough patch. Yeah. But um, yeah, those those pregnancies that one of the most common themes is the anxiety. The yeah. kind of I like to say that the um, the innocence and the naivety that may have existed before has mm-hmm. has disappeared and it's gone. It's it is, totally it is, gone. It is yeah. shattered like there, there's no yeah. it back together yeah. <laughs> absolutely yeah. and and for especially if it's a, um, a stillbirth or a neonatal death that was so far into the pregnancy, there's there's no time through that that you feel like you can catch your breath or there's no time that you feel like you can let your guard down. Because you, like I said, that, that, um, kind of narrative that pregnancy is always happy and easy and, and yeah. th- this wonderful experience is gone. And so it's, it's a really different place. And, th- and that can be really hard for people to verbalize because it's not a very popular thing to say this pregnancy is really, really challenging uh, or this pregnancy yeah. is hard. The, the other thing is the, the wave of emotions and the number of emotions are absolutely overwhelming at times because what one of my favorite quotes from one of our parents is how can you be so unbelievably happy and unbelievably sad at the exact yeah. same moment and it's very yeah. true i i used to you know laugh with my family a little bit because i did go on to have other children after after my loss and in those mm-hmm. pregnancies i said nobody around me could win <laughs> because if they said yeah. congratulations you're pregnant again we're yeah. so happy for you my instinct was to say but i'm still really sad and yeah, i yeah. this does not replace the the baby who died and this you know i my instinct was to protect him and yeah. to to acknowledge my grief but then if somebody said you know you're i just heard you're pregnant again this has to be so hard and reminding you of so many things yeah. and i would say Yes, but at the same time, yeah, I am but I'm excited. so excited yeah. because I love this new baby too, and I'm I'm learning more about this new baby all the time, and I'm I'm excited too. Yeah. So like you can't. It's we don't have the words in our language to yeah. to really describe the number of emotions that are are happening for that family, and so we we always fall short when when we try, and so those those are just you know from an emotional standpoint, two of, two of the biggest yeah. things we um we're learning more and more fortunately with, with some really good research about some some monitoring and some things that that can be done in these these pregnancies because we do know that they're at higher risk for having um, another poor outcome of of some type and a lot of it is connected to whatever may have caused the the first one and so there's you know a lot more information out there about what kind of tests we can do and and what kind of monitoring and more frequent monitoring and, and really just in making sure that um, the whole family recognizes that they, their anxiety and, and their mental health is as important part of this whole pregnancy as their physical health. And if, if that means that you have to, to be in your provider's office twice a week for, for NSTs or, you know, we yeah. just whatever those, those check-ins have to be to, to kind of be able to um, embrace this pregnancy and and really um, connect, you know, maintain that connection to the baby who died, but also connect with this new baby at the same time. And that's yeah. a lot of work. It's it's a really <laughs> um, really stressful and exhausting time. Um, but but there's there's like I said, we're learning more and more every day about about what we can do to help reduce the risk of those pregnancies. And that's, that's one of the sweetest things is to see a family um, have a baby after having such devastation beforehand.
1: Gosh. Yeah. I totally agree. taking care of a couple of patients like that. I haven't been um, like, I've worked with a couple of nurses who have had the same patient with a stillbirth, you know, and then they are pregnant again and they deliver them again. And I've not had that unique experience, but I've certainly had patients who have had prior history and have their first baby after afterwards. And it's, yeah, it's just a whole, a lot of emotions Absolutely. I mean, it's so much. And when you were talking about, I think you touched on such a good point of how it being exciting, but it also, you also have, still have grief um, is in the same regard, I had a patient who she had twins, and one of the twins passed. They they were expecting it to pass, but one of the twins passed, and one of the twins didn't. Mm-hmm. And I had, and it was a, it was, an, I was a new labor and delivery. It was probably within the first year of me working, and it was such a difficult situation. Such a difficult patient. Uh, I found such difficulty taking care of, of her because I ha- I, I didn't know you know, it was like, I want to be excited and I want, for this baby who's alive, but I also want to support you in your grief, with the baby. who's. It's like, it was so difficult for me as a care provider to take care of her. I did, you know, it's fine. I mean, it's fine, but mm-hmm. um, yeah, it's like, it brings up so many conflicting
2: emotions. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Since you, you talked about people who have the same providers um, that actually is a really common question that that we get about um, subsequent pregnancies is should I go back to my same OB? Should I go back to the same hospital? Should I have Uh, the same nurses? And so much of that depends on, on you and and the relationship that you have and, and what your experience was like. And sometimes even if people had an amazing experience from a, from a support standpoint, yeah, um, yeah. they will still say, I just can't go back to that hospital because walking yeah, in those to their in their walls, Yep, yeah. 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 but then to, to other people, it's, it's actually a, a comfort place and they want, they want, you know, both of their children to, to have been, um, cared for and loved by the same um, health professionals, or to to be in that same vicinity, and it really is a, a very personal choice. and And I would say, go with again, go with your gut because yeah. you, only you know what's what's going to work work best for you, and and for the providers. I think if you are getting someone who has circled back or someone who is is new after a previous loss, um, it's it's perfectly fine just to ask them. I see that you know this is um, part of part of your history. And how, how do we want to um, deal with that today? Because mm-hmm. especially it when labor is such a, a stressful and an emotional time mm-hmm. anyway, for for some of these families, if if nobody is talking about the last time they were in labor, it, it feels even more heavy and it feels like a burden that yeah. they have to try to handle on, on their own. On the other mm-hmm. hand, I know families that say um, they... They have to put all of their energy and positive focus into to this labor and this baby, and um, one and just kind of deal with one thing at a time. And so they want to mm-hmm. they don't want anybody to to mention the previous baby, um, and until a certain point or, or whatever makes sense for them. So it's, mm-hmm. it really is just something that we kind of have to to take the lead from from that family and what's going to work best for them. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Great
2: insight. Well, this
1: last question, I know the answer to. I know it's a yes, a resounding (laughs) yes. But this last question is, do you have any resources available for parents who are coping with stillbirth or
2: neonatal death? Yeah, absolutely. We have a support line that is open to anyone who has been impacted by these losses. And it's not just for the parents, that's for extended family or um, health professionals. We all know that sometimes these losses hit hit the the healthcare staff, particularly hard to. So anybody that um, would like to speak to some of our specialists about that are more than happy to use our support line. I mentioned the support groups that are free and available to, to everyone. We also have a peer companion program where a lot of times there's just comfort in talking to someone else who has been in a similar situation yeah. in the past, and yeah. and sometimes it's it's big things like how did you you know what what testing did you have done, and sometimes it's what might seem like the smaller things of well what did you do the first Mother's Day, what did yeah. you know what did you say when your coworkers said something insensitive, so. Mm-hmm. Um, sometimes that that peer um, relationship can be really important, and we're happy to connect um, people with that as well.
1: Yeah, I love it. Well, Lindsay, can you just remind our listeners, most of the people that are listening um, have social media. So can you just remind everybody
2: where they can find you? Because I know you guys have social media. So we let, do. Can
1: everybody find you?
2: Yeah, we are on uh, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and LinkedIn. Mm-hmm. Um, Star Legacy Foundation, and we also um, have our website is StarLegacyFoundation.org dot mm-hmm. org. And would encourage anybody to reach out to us through social media, through email, um, like I said, our support line, and we would we would love to connect with anybody who is um, either dealing with with the death of a baby during pregnancy mm-hmm. or infancy, or that um, is is in a um, pregnancy and wanting to learn more about how to reduce their risk factors, or if you're a a health professional or researcher interested in in these, um, issues, we would love to to connect with you as well.
1: Yeah. Awesome. Well, Lindsay,
2: thank you so much. This
1: was a great, great episode, I think for, for everybody listening. So thank you so much for coming on.
2: Oh, it's been my pleasure. Thanks for the time.
0: All right, so that is it for this episode of the Mommy Labor Nurse Podcast. You probably follow me on Instagram because that's probably where you came from. But if you don't, head over to Instagram and follow me at mommy.labornurse for more. That is certainly where I am most active. I also now have a separate Instagram for just this podcast. So I encourage you to follow my second account at mommylabornurse.podcast as well if you want podcast updates. Again, that is at nurse.podcast. As always, you guys know that I also have a website where I have tons of articles all about pregnancy, birth, breastfeeding, newborn stuff, and more at www.mommylabornurse.com. I want to hear more from you on how much you love this episode of the podcast or how you think I can improve. So leave me a comment on one of my pictures, send me a DM, or send me an email with all the love. All right, guys, I will see you same time, same place next week.